Welcome to Tip That Scale. In this week's episode, Ron and AJ take us behind the scenes and they'll share the recruiter's point of view of the hiring process. You'll hear about job requisitions, job descriptions, of course, and then they'll talk a little bit about interviewing as well and what they look for. But a big part of the recruiting process includes metrics. And we actually started talking about metrics and data before we got into the meat of the episode. So we hope you enjoy this. And guess what? There's going to be a part two as well. Metrics are driving what people are doing. And if you have the wrong metrics in place, you're, you're, you're gonna, it's just like infinite plans, right? You're going to get exactly what you're intending people to do. So with a lot of the metrics today for recruiters, it drives speed over speed and quantity over quality. Um, you know, you've got metrics like time and queue, you know, how long have or how many and how long have these candidates been sitting in queue waiting to be processed? Well, when that happens, when you have an influx of 200, 300 uh, candidates come in, the pressure's on that recruiter to get there. You know, it, it's used with, with visuals now, you know, green, yellow, and red in terms of how long a grouping has been sitting there, and they're intended to get them out. So if you've got that many hitting your, your book at one time, a lot of times it's, you're not going to be really reviewing those resumes. If you don't see the thing, and, and it's where they can use the ATS to do keyword searches. We've talked about all this in previous episodes of making sure your resume is captured by those filters. Um, because that is what's going to kick you out when that time, when you have those kind of metrics in place and you have that kind of volume hitting you, or you have inexperienced recruiters as well. So there's a lot of things working against you, which is why we talked about working within the system that is, uh, you've got, you know, metrics that look at how many people did you get hired that you actually sourced versus people who applied to the ATS. Um, if that's a metric that's being used by a company, then you really need to make yourself, you, you may be wondering, why am I I'm applying to this and I look good for it? Why am I not getting the hit? There may be a metric in place like that. So you need to make your LinkedIn profile and your, your resume and everything look really good and grab the attention of that recruiter that's out there uh, incented to source. You've got metrics like first round interviews. You know, how many times does a recruiter get candidates to that hiring manager and the first round don't get hired. How many, you know, if you need to put 15 candidates in front of a, a, a team that's hiring, then your efficiency metrics are not as good. So that, in, which is a good incentive, right? You don't want, that, that is the recruiter's job is to use less of that upstream team's time to hire somebody, do more on your part. So, um, that's another incentive for recruiters to, if they don't see exactly what they want, if they have a, a lot of options, to kick them out. Um, not read between the lines on resumes and profiles like you're talking about, especially if they don't have the experience to do that. Mm -hmm. They got metrics like number, how many people did you screen as a recruiter? How many people did you interview? So there's also incentives there to show that you're doing a lot of work. You're interviewing a lot of people. Is that a great metric? Depends on how you look at it, right? I mean, a younger less experienced or let's say less experienced recruiter may need to go through a lot more of those uh, interviews and evolutions to to learn and grow and build someone who's been doing it for a while they can they don't have to interview as many to get where they need to go so um, 
you've got your hire to interview ratio, you've got your, uh, how many days did it take you to get a person hired and processed through the queue? Um, how many submittals did you send over to that, that group to get them to even do an interview? Um, and then how many submittals did you send to them that actually ended up in a hire? So all those, those are the things, I mean, there's others too, AJ, you can throw some of them in too, but different companies have different things they specialize in, but those are the things that those recruiters are being measured on, engaged on. So you have to take in consideration, those may be some of the reasons you're not getting the interview. Not that you're not a good fit, but they're what they're being driven by, which is all the more reason why we talked about don't just rely on a submittal to get you where you need to be. Reach out to people on LinkedIn, grab somebody's attention in a different way, make yourself stand out, and get past just a resume in that ATS because you can easily get killed. And, and, and you could be the best candidate in there. So there's a lot of factors outside of what you can control. What is what is it like behind the scenes as a recruiter? A lot of candidates really don't know beyond seeing the job description, being being called for an interview or receiving that email that says, thank you, but no thank you. Um, and I have I honestly have a problem with that because I think those I know I don't think those emails are trash. So a lot of candidates, myself included, can get hot behind, behind that templated uh, that templated email that says thank you but no thank you. I think that's a good lead in because that's that can go back to the front end right and that is a piece that people don't see. <clears throat> now those those respond those emails that go out are a templated response to the complaint by everyone of submitting and never hearing anything. Okay. Then corporate America decided to respond to you, which gave no more value than not hearing back, except that, okay, you at least know your resume hit something and you got rejected. That's about all you know, which is about the same you would know if you submitted and didn't hear anything. The only difference is you know it hits an intended position or place, right? That's the only thing different. You don't know why, um, but it makes companies feel better that, hey, we got it sent out and you received it within whatever the time frame is, 24 hours, 36 hours, you got some response. I think that is having an effect that so many companies are doing that now that in, instead of making people feel better about it, it really pisses them off more because they've seen so many of those. And like you were just talking about, you feel you really are a good fit based on what you're seeing in front of you for the job description. In the past, when we've had lots of jobs, recent past, and fewer applicants, you're going to have, you got to think about it. If you have a job posted and you get 10 applicants, you're going to spend a lot more time looking at those 10, going through the details, making, you'll have managers who are willing to make concessions. Hey, okay, they don't have this, but you know, I, can, I can teach them that. That said, if you've got position we are in now when you send out one job posting and you get 80 applicants they can really tighten down that filter okay if they they don't have it then skip them and go look at the other 800 or whatever is in there so all the more reason we have to be very specific to tailored resumes tailored responses and answers and reading between the lines of what are is this group really looking for this can even be where we talked about 
the stalking piece. Go to LinkedIn, find somebody in that group, look at their profile. What do they have? What do they show that they are doing within that group? Then you know that's what you need to be doing within that job description. So pull that out in your resume, focus on it. So a job starts with a hiring manager or hire saying, we have a vacancy within the company, within their department. We have a vacancy, whether it's a new position or one for, you know, we have a vacancy because John Smith has turned in his resignation and he's out. So that's where it starts. So as a recruiter, when you like, are you excited? Like, woohoo, there's a vacancy. I get to, I get to recruit for this role. Are you like, oh my gosh, what? Oh my gosh, what's happening here? Is it, you know, how does how does the ball start rolling from there? And I know you've given a little bit of, you know, what all that the candidates should do, but a lot of candidates really don't know like what's happening with with y'all when y'all get that uh, that new job before the job gets on LinkedIn or the many other job sites out there, including the company website. What happens? You get the the ball rolling um, from the hiring manager that says that there is a there is a position available. Wait, so that's two different questions in the same question. Okay, well, answer them both, please, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is: is you asked what does a recruiter think when a rec opens up? Mm -hmm. A lot of that depends on the environment that they're in and the environment that they're living through. So okay. let's just talk about it first with organizations that are well-staffed on the TA team. Um, they don't have, they're not going through layoffs. They've sustained, they've actually hired well, they've built out the right teams, those types of things. It, it really depends on the environment, right? Let's just say if it's, a manager that they really don't like dealing with because the manager has extremely high expectations and the recruiter can be like, crap, is another one from this person. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's someone that they love working with and they don't want to, they, all they want to do is be able to help that person out and get the role filled and keep expanding the team, right? Now let's talk about a, a third scenario where the recruiter's scared for their job. Every time we saw a rec opened up, we got excited because that just meant we might have a little bit more job security, right? Um, it really depends on the environment. I guess the second part to your question is, is what happens when that rec opens up? And that's more of a process type of situation where it really depends on the organization that you're working with. So let's just say that the ad is, I mean, the rec is posted um there's the recruiter is getting inundated by resumes let's just say in the last however long that these layoffs have been happening and teams have been getting smaller and more and more people are getting or applying to these roles right i mean you wait you wait 10 minutes and you've already got 200 applicants on a specific job i mean that's being a little facetious but you know what i mean right it's overwhelming for a recruiter Right. There's some jobs out there with 2,000, 3,000 applicants. Mm. How do they go through all of those? Mm -hmm. And there are search 
tools that you can use within these specific ATS is to look for specific keywords um, within the job descriptions and all these other things and within your own resume. And so they'll start weeding people out or uh, weeding people out is probably a bad term, but screening. You know, they'll, yeah, they'll start screening people out based on what's on your resume through keyword searches. And if they don't see the specific keywords that they're looking for, um, your chances of actually getting a callback are very slim, right? And so let's go to the next stage where let's just say somebody does get identified and saying, okay, this might be potential that I want to talk to. The next step is, is either sending out an email or picking up the phone and calling the specific candidate, right? Starting the process. Every company's process is a little different. Some have sourcers that directly work alongside recruiters and they have very different responsibilities. Some companies have full desk recruiters that kind of work the whole gambit where they're talking to the client or the, their end client, which is their stakeholders or internal team members and managers uh, and the candidate. And they're managing both relationships all the way through, right? Um, others say have a separation of responsibility where the sources go out and find the candidates. And then once the candidate has been identified, it goes to the recruiter. And then that's when the whole process starts. But once the identification process starts, if you are a fit, you're going to move into the hiring process itself or the recruiting or the um, process of where you're going to start talking to internal team members and saying, okay, are you a specific fit? Now, in regards to what Ron was saying in regards to metrics and how individuals are being engaged and those types of things, if your metrics are out of whack and you're forcing people to look at specific areas that should not really matter, then that's what they're going to do. So for instance, if you put such a big emphasis on sourcing your candidates and your internal teams are gauged specifically just on that one metric, even if you're applying, the likelihood of you getting a callback is very low because that recruiter knows that if somebody applied to the job, it goes against their metric. If you have a TA organization that understands that the end goal is to find the individual as fast as possible, no matter where they find them from, and then they get placed, it's a lot easier than you can apply and then go through that process. Right. But then you also have to make sure your resume lines up with that job description and what they're looking for. Is it in your resume? Right. Um, a lot of this information, you're not going to know until you actually start going through the interview process. But tag in with some of the stuff Asia was talking about. And I think another thing that happens, I think you may have asked the question earlier, Nicole is, you may see a job sitting out there or get published and then you see it become unpublished, whether, and that may be shortly, it may take a while, and then you see it reappear. A lot of times recruiters will pause a job, which unpublishes it just so they can get through some of the resumes and the applicants on there. Um, and then you'll see it go back up if they, got that filtered down and just came out with a few or none, then they'll they'll republish and let it open back up. So if you see something like that happen, that's what's going on. Or recruiters trying to um, give themselves some time to get through them because you can get so far behind on them that you, you just won't ever catch up and you can't get timely responses back to people. 
you know, AJ talked about it going out and we talked about it having filters built into this. I think we have to look at how things were and how things are now, because within the course of just a few months here, things have changed dramatically. Um, if most of these things, most of these applications ask, you know, what kind of money you're looking for. And that's a big, <laughs> always in the past, you're able to get by with either not answering it or just putting in a, a one dot, you know, something to make it, it go ahead and publish your application. But now, um, it's just another reason for recruiters to filter you out. If you don't answer those questions or <clears throat> fictitiously answer them, a lot of, with new regulations, a lot of new company or, or states and cities are starting to implement putting ranges in there, mm -hmm. um, which I think we're going to see a lot more of this year. That'll, that'll open up more. But you're also seeing, and, you know, as it being required by law on some of those places, companies are just putting such a big range it doesn't really help narrow it down a lot so you just kind of have to do your research and, and and be more realistic with what you put in there and if you have a chance to put if you are negotiable in those ranges you can put a range put that you're negotiable or what have you so um, don't give that recruiter any more reasons to kick you out than you have to yeah because they are. They're going to have to look how to filter faster with so many applicants going up every time. On the back end for available jobs, one of the things that I know happens, and this is, and I have a, an approach for this with, with my coaching clients and people that I work with, there are internal jobs and then there are external jobs. My question about those internal positions, how often do companies really look at their current employee population for internal positions? That's a consideration. It usually happens before it goes out to the public. Okay. Um, then, you know, a lot of companies are required to post it internally, let your internal people have a, a chance. Then they have to get approved if they can apply um, based on the current position they're sitting in and the need there. And then, you know, then they can apply for it. Uh, I, I can tell you from seeing it so many times, if you're talking about you're an outside candidate applying to something versus if you're even a like an internal referral. Like if we work at a company, you refer someone into a position that's open, a lot of companies are paying uh, referral fees to internal employees to refer people, which may be something else that changes a little more. Those may go down some. Um, those those people have a lot better chance of getting fast track to at least being interviewed, and if they qualify, they're going to have a way better shot. So that goes back again to our, what we talked about: doing your homework on the front end. And if you know somebody, if you see a company post something, go look and see if you know somebody there. If they do. If you have a much better path of reaching out to them and getting them to submit you than you do submitting through that applicant tracking system. That they have an incentive if if they really think you're good and a potential to incent you because they get paid uh, referral fee, but they also you're going to get pushed to the front of the line just because somebody internally referred you. Um, and you know, and they can talk to the manager, hiring manager about you and all that. So again, it's a little bit more work, but. Uh, <laughs> You definitely shorten your place in the line if, if, if you do that and you are fortunate enough to find someone that works there that you know. AJ, you have anything to add to the internal versus external 
those job descriptions and not just job descriptions, but job requirements. What about those, those internal versus external um, job opportunities and how, how the job description may change for each? See, in a perfect world, I, I agree with Ron in regards to internal employees might have it a little bit easier than external employees, but I think it could be about the same, just depends on the relationship of what you're actually known for within the organization, where you can have individuals ask, all right, well, they may not have everything that I need in the job description, but are they willing to learn? Because the relationship has already been established between you and the organization, right? But you could also be dealing with, you know, a situation where you have a, a leader that's above you that's not wanting you to move. And because you make their life easier. And I mean, it's you have to be able to identify these things. If you're one of those individuals that are getting stellar reviews all the time and things are always moving and, you know, everything's hunky-dory as long as you're in the position that you're in. But if you start talking about elevating yourself and then, you know, you start getting told, well, you know, when I first came into the company, you know, my boss felt the same way that like, but I had to let them know that I wasn't after their job. When you start hearing conversations like that, just know it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you to move. Let's take a look at from hiring from the outside perspective. Example, um, there was a job that you sent me yesterday, Nicole, that I applied for, reached out to the person responsible for the opportunity, told me that I was everything that they were looking for apart from being able to speak Mandarin. Was that part of the, was that in the job description? It was not. But you wouldn't know that unless you actually reached out, right? Now, that's the other piece, is that you may not be fully qualified, but if there's one piece that you're missing that is extremely important, that should be in the job description, right? Uh, I'm trilingual, but Mandarin is not one of them, right? And so for them to tell me that Mandarin is a like a, a it's a it's not a value add, but it's it required within the job description that's not listed. Well, as a recruiter, you need to start thinking like, okay, well, if this is so important, shouldn't I put it in the job description? That's come across my during my career as well, where I'm told that you look great, but you don't have this. And I've asked, because y'all know my personality, to push back a little bit to say, oh, what did I miss? And I'm oh, sometimes I can be snarky about it. Oh, did I miss that in the job? <laughs> did I miss that in the job description? Why do companies not include something so important in a job description? I know sometimes it's just because they're a rush to get something published. They take a what we used last time and put it out there and don't even think about that putting that in, right? They may do, and when something like this comes up, they'll need to recall it and plug it in. But, um, and sometimes that's something that comes out, maybe the hiring manager said, hey, I need this type of person in this role, let's get it going. Uh, the recruiter may do their recruiting, send them someone, and then their manager says, oh, but I need this, right? The managers don't always pay a lot of attention and, and put all the things that they need in on the front end. So often it can be that, that the manager either overlooked it or realized as they got down the path, you know what, we do need to put this in there. So mm -hmm. I don't think it's intentional. 
uh, for something like that because companies should be looking for any filters that they can at this point if it's a, a, a must. Um, but again, unfortunately, a lot of times these, these can job descriptions just get pushed out there and you, you adjust as you go on the fly. When you adjust on the fly, so I'm going to go back to this whole, uh, the issue that AJ had with and not speaking Mandarin. Come on, man, learn, learn Mandarin, why don't you? But, and Cantonese, throw that one in there too. What happens in that instance where, you know, we're get, we updated the job description, we're including Mandarin now, but we're not getting the candidates. What, what happens then? Well, that's when it's the recruiter's job to collect data and... Mm -hmm take those statistics back to that manager and say, since we've put this in play, you know, we've gone from 200 applicants down to three. And of those three, um, none of them had the other qualifying things that we needed. Um, yeah. So, and that's, you know, you'll ask the, manager, the hiring manager, is it a must have? Because if it is, then I'm setting the expectation. It may be a, a while. Uh, or can you get by without it? And maybe we substitute something else in there. So, uh, or is this role good for this specific geographic location? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's when you get to the give and take points, and and, and yeah. that happens. That actually happens often. Um, that you, but it, it starts with collecting data. I mean, and nobody knows until they try. Uh, and it, you start off with a tighter, the tighter filter, and you expand out from there you both talked about sourcing candidates. So the applicant, you know, a candidate applying to a position and then recruiters or a company having sources who will go out, mine and find candidates that meet the criteria of particular uh, job descriptions or particular open positions. You know, from a sourcing and, you know, we've talked about this and we'll continue to talk about it because it's, it's, an important factor for anyone and knowing who they are and their personal brand. Um, how do you, how, how does a person really stand out? Ooh, this is a good one. How does a, how does a person, a candidate really stand out to a sourcer? I think keywords is what get you to them because you got to mm -hmm. have a starting point that gets you to that massive, um, sign up base on LinkedIn. So keyword is going to get you to that spot. So you have to make sure you absolutely have your profile updated with current keywords or the types of jobs you're looking for. Because if you don't, you're just, you're just not going to get the look. And then from there, that's when what you're talking about is going to come into play. What's going to get me to reach out to this group of people or person uh, as opposed to the others. I mean, I'd like to see there's a multitude of things on there. Um, I like to see their, what's their job history? What's their, what is their, I, I like to see good, um, we talked about it before, getting people to update their recommendations on you. I like to see what people say about them. I like to see how engaged they are on LinkedIn. Um, the job may, if they're super engaged, that may help the position that I'm looking for, or it may be a job that it doesn't matter, right? I take that in consideration as well. If it's something that you have very limited interaction with outside or internal customers, just kind of more heads down, then you know you don't you don't look for somebody to be as active on uh, LinkedIn as you would otherwise. Um, I'd like to see if I have other connections that 
may be connected to them, right? Because I can reach out to one of those and say, what do you think about so-and-so? What's your experience with that person? So another reason to connect with as many people as you can. AJ, what about you? What what other things, once you get to the filter, is going to make you grab onto them? Well, I mean, a lot of it's really how you're marketing yourself, right? I mean, if you look at LinkedIn, how robust is your LinkedIn profile? How many people are giving you a reference of a, a recommendation of a good job? Um, is your LinkedIn profile up to date with specific keywords that you're going to be looking for? Because, I mean, again, let's go back to the way a recruiter is going to find you in today's market, right? You, you're going to have to understand how sourcers and recruiters are looking for you. We've had the experience both from internal corporate teams, also from an agency standpoint, you know, when you're talking to an agency recruiter, you're going to have to be very pinpointed and direct in regards to what you're looking for, because sometimes they have more information about the role that's what's even in the job description, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of like the Mandarin thing. If I didn't reach out, I would have never known that that role required Mandarin. And I wouldn't have known why I got rejected. I, I have to give it to, to that recruiter because they were extremely nice, upbeat. They responded within five minutes of me reaching out and they were honest about the opportunity. Mm -hmm. right? Wasn't wasting my time or theirs, but they didn't recognize that, yes, I might be someone that they may be able to push towards another opportunity, right? Well, it uh, made you feel better too, right? You knew you didn't get rejected for any reason that you could have controlled, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's a better feeling to know that you, oh, and that you weren't just ignored or overlooked. Uh, you were seen and there was a valid reason uh, that, that you didn't get selected. And by doing what we're talking about, you followed up with a, a person, it put you in a position for future opportunities and it lets them see, hey, mm -hmm. the guy actually reached out and followed up and did it in a professional manner. I am absolutely going to put him on my, and that's another thing that recruiters do, right? When you run across somebody that you know you may or will have a need for or have had need for them in the past, you're going to put them in a, a pipeline folder um, for that specific position. And by doing these things, he's talking about what he just did. Somebody should have put him in one of those folders. And, and, and mm -hmm. it's front of mind that, I hey, I'm going to remember this dude. Or a lot of other times, and I know we do it is, or did it, is, I see a candidate that I know another group typically hires for. I'm going to send that person over to them and say, hey, do you, I don't know if you guys have any need for a person like this, but you know, if you do, looks good. Uh, maybe worth putting into a, a file. It so builds the brand. It builds the employer brand. And that thought, yeah. how you feel about not just the recruiter, but the company. You know, that's Absolutely. something that a lot of people forget as well. Hey, it's Nicole. Even though I've been around talent acquisition and recruiting for a good part of my career, working with them as partners to build company employer brands and recruitment marketing campaigns, I have to admit, I learned a lot from AJ and Ron in this episode, but guess what? There's a part two and it gets even better. We don't want you to miss it, so make sure you like, follow, and subscribe, and make sure you tell a friend too. You don't want them to miss it.